Welcome to The Leadership, a business-focused talk show brought to you by The Vested Group. We talk to entrepreneurs, employees, thought leaders, innovators, dreamers, disruptors, and even our own children about what makes us tick on and off the clock. Hi, I'm Chris Johnson, the Director of Strategy for The Vester Group, and today we're, you know, we like to talk to leaders of organizations, and today we're talking to Gary Olson, who is a very, very frequent entrepreneur. Um, so Gary, as we've talked over time, we're, we're good friends, actually. Uh, Gary, I think you said you had 60 to 70 <laughs> businesses that you started, and it's been a kind of a wide variety. Yes, it has. We've Now, whenever 60 percent, that sounds terribly impressive, but I'd say a third, no, probably over half of those are just real estate um, okay, companies. Exactly. And so they're kind of all in the same area. Same area? Yeah. Okay, okay. So when you're, let's just kind of, you know, we like to find out about how people got to where they're at. Because um, people that watch, you know, are just kind of seeing, you know, how do I become a leader? What what makes a leader? What builds them up? Um, so let's, let's kind of start in the beginning. You started... You grew up on a farm, right? Western right. Oklahoma, Granola. Granola, Oklahoma, that's right, good. And how many good. people lived in Granola? 36, but I lived a mile north and three west. So this is a, <laughs> we're talking a small town, this is a small, small town. That's right, there was five people in my class my first eight years of school. Okay, all right, and so so today, you sit on several boards, you know, companies, two, three hundred million dollars. I mean, this is the the uh, the change between growing out at the farm to where you're at today is pretty significant. Thing? I'd say it's yeah, it's drastically different. Yeah. And uh, I always said I would never go back to a farm and work on and uh, live on a gravel road. But I tell you what, that sounds pretty good these days. <laughs> well, less, less stress or no? <laughs> less stress. Yeah, at least as a kid, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, so you grew up in Granola. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I went to Southwestern Oklahoma State in Weatherford, Oklahoma. Okay. So that's not Yale. No. Nope. Harvard. <laughs> okay. Um, and as you as you got into like your first job, what was your first job? My first job out of college yeah. was with EDS, Electronic Data Systems, in Dallas, Texas. And that was uh, Ross Perot? That was okay. Ross Perot, that's right. Okay, that was yeah. a good start. Yeah, it was a good start. Small company back then. Really? It, yeah. Okay. I think there was, if I recall right, there was six or seven hundred employees about what we had. Okay. That's, so. Okay. And what did you do for them? I was a systems engineer, which means I uh, programmed systems or applications for banks. Okay. And, uh Although the first thing I did, which actually was the most notable, is I worked on the uh, finance, uh, the automation of the bank in Iran, and uh, where we ultimately wound up a couple of our guys became prisoners, and Ross organized a task and got our guys back, and we wound up uh, with a movie and a book about it. That's so that was kind of cool. interesting uh, experience. Yeah, and so I got to touch it. I, w I didn't ever get to go there. I just you worked on, on the helicopter. I was not on the helicopter. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's fun to be that I knew all the players. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. Well, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So so through your career, before you started in the entrepreneur role, what was kind of the main focus? What are, did, were you sales, technical, engineer? I always finance? wanted to be technical because I had an uncle who was a one of the early systems programmers for Conoco in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And I always thought that looked like a cool job because they had air conditioning, he had a chair <laughs> on rollers, and they could buy Coca-Colas for a nickel. I thought, that's my kind of job. You sound like it's a boy that grew up in the hot weather <laughs> that wanted the AC, is that? That's right. I hauled hay as a boy growing <laughs> up and drove a tractor for hours and hours a day, so that looked pretty good AC to me. AC sounded pretty good? <laughs> yeah, okay. it did. 
Okay, so what were some of the roles that you had? You're an EDS as system engineer. What was next? Oh, after well, actually, during my time there, I I started thinking about uh, how to multiply my personal income, and the only way to do that was to get other people to do things for you. So I. Uh, my wife and I, we actually got involved in Amway and uh, made a lot of money at that. And then, uh, But I always stayed in data processing, and I always stayed in the finance industry for my entire career. Okay. And so what was your favorite role? My favorite role, boy, I had a lot of favorites. I really did. Um, one, of the, one of the ones I loved the most was when I was... Uh, working on proof of deposit systems, which is basically check processing systems. I just loved developing those new innovative systems. Uh, ACH was a big deal, which is automated clearinghouse. I helped write one of the first uh, programs for that in, uh, to deal with uh, clearing checks. So I really enjoyed that. But I, I would say over time, I really loved working with uh, talking to bankers about how to do their data processing and how they could automate their back offices and and that really kind of became my sweet spot which is sales okay that's so you're kind of like that right yeah you, you like to talk you like to tell stories yeah i love to tell stories i hear tell stories yeah. all the time yeah um, it's great great <laughs> stories are fascinating so what is it why, why do you think that's the thing what what is it about telling stories about the sales role what is it do you think that's in you that makes that uh, so appealing? I like telling stories. I think it comes from my dad. My dad was a storyteller, okay. and that always resonated. I was never great at sales, but I was really great at telling stories, you know, about why this was good for you and why this would help things better and how another person experienced uh, the success of that. You know, like automating the back room, you know, we eliminated, you know, all the manual processing of checks and it might be 10 or 12 people in the back room of a bank, but we automated it. And the sad thing was they lost their jobs, but the great thing was we reduced the overhead and expense. And so I really loved uh, implementing those things and helping make things better. That was something I always liked to do. And it was really, it all gets down to talking to people and convincing them. Uh, not, maybe not convincing, but but just showing the benefits. I really like that. So what was uh, what was it, like uh, in that role? What was a normal day like for you? <laughs> well, I've I've always been a farm boy. I was a workaholic. Okay. So I would typically I'd get up and I would be out in the car on the way to work by six o'clock every morning, mm -hmm. and I typically would get home, you know, if I got home at all. Some part of the time I actually flew around the country for years and. Uh, but I worked long hours. I yeah. was really almost shameful how many hours of work, <laughs> work I did a week. Okay. So. All right. All right. So it's basically get in the car early, go visit clients. Yep. Um, and tell I tell them stories. Tell them stories. Okay. And I I love to. I remember one of my favorites was down in Lubbock, Texas. One time I was called this banker up and. He was like, no, nah, we're not interested in talking to anybody. And I said, okay, no problem. I said, I'm going gonna, gonna to visit with some other guys down the street. Just thought I'd stop by and say hi to you. And he goes, well, what are you going to talk to them about? I said, well, that's why I wanted to meet with you. And he was like, well, come on over. <laughs> you know, and I so I would, uh, I would cold call banks and talk to presidents all the time. And uh, probably my favorite story is a guy in Venita, Oklahoma. He, he said, well, I don't meet with anybody that's selling. I said, well, that's all right with me. And uh, he said, but if you wanted to meet, you'd have to meet me at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay. I said, 
okay, I'll be there. So I got up at three o'clock and I went to Venita, Oklahoma and met him at six o'clock in the morning. One of my lifelong customers. Wow. Nice. So, that's earning the business. You worked hard for that. I always did. I, I figured I can always, I, if I couldn't sell you, I'd just wear you down. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned Ross Perot. This is a Ross Perot town, right? We're, we're yeah. based in Dallas. Um, what kind of, I mean, what, what did you learn from him? Just whether it's the organization or direct contact with him and what kind of things did you learn from Ross? You know, the thing, Ross was real personable. I mean, you call him up and he'd talk to you. And if you had a problem, he'd talk to you. What I learned the most, I think, about from EDS was everybody was a team. We all worked together. And you and, and you didn't have to make be the manager to make the most money. You could be the most valuable person, but you could be the person at the bottom of the, of the team. And I thought, I like that because whoever does the most gets the most. And I just love the camaraderie. But I remember, particularly like on the, the Iranian deal, I remember going in there and Ross would beat all these guys up and I was just a rookie, but I'd watch it going on. But once they agreed, Ross had your back. Okay. It was a team and we were all in it together. And, you know, I just love that. It was a great time. So how was that thought kind of applied? You know, once you, we, we all fight to get to a decision but once we're in a decision, we're all unified. Have you kind of seen that play out in other areas in your career? Uh, I am a, I love a team play. I like it where everybody buys into the deal and you have full agreement so that you can move forward without someone who's fighting you all the way through. Okay. So I really like, and also, quite frankly, it's the best way to compliment the talents you don't have is you bring in other people that have those talents and it just makes the team work better because... Yeah. You've got different thoughts. We well, said that earlier, too, because you said that the way that I can earn more money is basically to multiply myself. <laughs> is, that, right. is that kind of what you're talking about? That's, that would be correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. So how? So if we're going to kind of move out of the career role into the entrepreneurial role, what, what was your first business that you started? Well, the very first one <laughs> was when I was nine years old. Oh. And I bought <laughs> and, I, and I sold... Uh, terrapins, <laughs> people, turtles, we, turtles. Yes, okay. we had turtle races, and I would pick them up on the roads for free and sell them to people so they could race their turtles. I made more money selling the turtles than I did racing turtles. That was my first one. Uh, my so, so it's not like you started at thirty and forty. We're going to start a business. With that. So this no, started early, right? It did start early. I, I actually made more money while I was in college than I did for the first few years out of college because I had. <laughs> I always worked full-time through college. I had multiple jobs. I had, I had a lot of cattle that I owned and raised and some sheep and some hogs. And I, um, so yeah, I was always uh, doing something. But then after I got in my career and actually wound up in Dallas and then Chicago and in different places, um, I started doing multiple other kinds of businesses like buying real estate. Okay. Uh, I started a chain of daycare centers built those up. In fact, I still own the buildings today and lease those out. And uh, I've owned all the Indians pretzel stores in Oklahoma. I've owned, uh, I had a large ATM network that I owned about five, 600 ATMs. But again, a lot of times it was taking money and finding the right people to do, uh, that could do the business. Okay. And all use these their businesses time. are totally unrelated to each other. Indians, daycares, yes. ATMs, yes. You mentioned earlier you started, to me, you started a bank. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. scratch. Yeah. Um, and I've heard of several, an armored car business. <laughs> yes. That was related to the ATMs. Yeah. Well, so something has to connect all those things <laughs> together, right? It's You don't have all those interests. What no. is it about 
what is it about being an entrepreneur, about starting something? Um, you know, how do you decide that, that that's the thing that you want to do? Well, the, the funny thing about me being personable is I also am a little bit reclusive and then I like to look at the numbers, analyze the business, and I like to look, and if there's a really a great opportunity and I've got a great match with people and I got the right people that I can trust and move forward with and, and, and depend upon their ethics and their ability to work, then uh, I'll, uh, I'll take a chance. You just kind of laid out a formula there, right? I suppose. I really, suppose. I mean, that's what you did. Yeah. I look at the numbers. And then I match those up with the right people. We talked about teamwork earlier, trying yeah. to figure out the people that have skills that I don't have. Right. Um, so you're kind of laying out a formula for how how good businesses start. Were they all successful? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do you think was the difference between the successful ones and the unsuccessful ones? Well, probably the worst one was a, a large real estate deal. I, we had built a lot of houses. Probably we probably maxed out at 40, 50 new houses a year maybe more. But uh, the problem that was is that monitoring and validating what was going on. And that was probably the biggest learning curve. In fact, I've told people many times I've gotten my PhD. I just paid for it with cash. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it was a disaster. I lost a lot of money. Um, but I learned that I have to, even though I had somebody I really, really trusted, I really needed to know how to monitor and manage what was going on from a distance. You just can't totally have hands off. So you can't, you know, you, there may be somebody that you trust, but somebody still has to kind of be with them to observe, to, to make sure things are going right. Even if they're a great person, sometimes things go off the rails a little bit. Or yeah, it's checks and balances. Right? You have to have checks and balances, no matter who it is at what level. You have to have checks and balances yeah. to make sure that things aren't getting out of line. And uh, that was a that was a tough one, but quite frankly, one of the best things that ever happened to me, because out of that, I've really done extraordinarily well okay. in real estate, and I I started two new houses yesterday. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so so you kind of hit on a question that I like to ask is you know what did you learn? You know, especially from there's a lot of things we learn when things go really well, right? So uh, you know, kind of looking back and decide what were those building blocks that got me there, but it seems like people accelerate when they are under a tremendous amount of pressure, whether it's a financial pressure or it's stress from something has to get done by a certain time, or I'm into something brand new that I've not really done before. The amount of learning just accelerates. So in that kind of situation, what, what do you think you learned from that? that oh, wow. Well, number one, tenacity and never quitting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm always one of those that says, when you're knocked down, you get back up, you know, because if you can get back up, you know, and have a positive attitude, be forgiving, have, you know, be graceful because, you know, if you sit around with bitterness, you're going to, you're going to die in your bitterness. And, uh, I've chosen to forgive. I mean, I, I'm a Christian and I felt like, you know, God forgave me. I'm going to give people a second chance mm -hmm. and, uh, but I'm going to hold people accountable. I'm going to check out their ethics. I'm going to check out, you know, I'm going to make sure they're doing what they say they're going to do. I really love people that, uh, work hard and work smart. You don't have to work long hours, but you need to work smart and not be wasting time. Okay. Okay. So what do you what are the things when things went well? What are those things that you think you learned? I mean, what what's the 
you know, somebody's going to watch and they're going to say, well, this is how Gary did it. This is the formula. We kind of went through one yeah. aspect of it. What is... Well, I would, <laughs> this is terrible. On that. But, I'll, but I like to say it, buy low and sell high. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's cheap. That yeah. wasn't real. Not <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, but you do have to learn, you have to learn that I don't try to ever make the most, uh, I, I never try to get the maximum and I try to mitigate the downside. So if I can, if I can go in and I used to look at like a lot of land developments that I've done over the years and I'd, I'd look at it and I'd say, I want no more than a 10% downside. And so I had mentally criteria that I would look at, but if I knew I only had a 10% downside risk, but my upside was pretty dramatic, then I'd pull the trigger. And that's been a pretty good way to look at deals. And I've done a lot of commercial buildings, a lot of uh, home buildings, a lot of land developments. And uh, I'd say, and quite frankly, a lot of stocks and bonds and yeah. things like that that I buy and sell. So, so to me, that goes back to the, uh, the financial analysis that you're looking at before right. you get into the team. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to pick on Annie Ann's. Okay. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I know who Annie Ann's is. I'm pick on that business. Okay. Um, so if you're going to use Annie Ann's as an example, when you're trying to figure out, do I start this? What does that look like when you're doing the analysis and you're saying, I want to mitigate my risk, um, and my, but my expectations are not through the roof, they're, they're manageable. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in using any hands as an example? Well, any hands was uh, an ongoing business that I, I bought and I looked at my investment and I looked at, you know, what its returns were. Um, I think the big thing I would say there is that I underestimated the amount of uh, personal time I was going to have to employ there. And that was actually, that was a mistake. It wasn't very costly to be real frank, but, uh, but I didn't realize that on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, I was going to be working 14 hours a day making pretzels. You know, um, I just, that wasn't, <laughs> that, in the, seem like a great that wasn't the equation I was quite looking for. Uh, but again, you learn from those things. Uh, but I looked at that and uh, I knew what the margins were and I knew, you know, it was all about volume and, and traffic, you know, uh, in those malls. I understood the, the, the concept of, of why you put it in a mall. I mean, I really understood the business very well before I pulled the trigger. And, uh, uh, but I didn't really understand the magnitude of, of what happens when people don't show up and that I literally am going to be out there so, <laughs> making presents. So if, if I'm going to follow that formula that you laid out earlier, yeah. you know, how did you decide who was on that team that was involved in in any ends? How did that work? Well, that was... Clearly somebody was missing, right? Cause yes, it was. like a pretzels. <laughs> That's right. The hard part about the pretzels is, is that I was working full-time still in data processing in the finance industry okay. and financial advisory business. And so... Luckily, I had lots of flexibility, but I was not anticipating that I was going to be even a part-time worker. I was going to hire the general manager, and I had a general manager uh, run the business, and that was pretty pretty good. What I didn't understand uh, from that perspective was that you needed to be involved very closely in the day-to-day -day because you've got a lot of uh, the lowest pay scale people uh, working for you, and that was a that was a revelation for me. Because um, we had a lot of minimum wage people, people that were had marginal financial lives. That was a little different twist than working in the finance industry. Yeah. So I think I underestimated that part. That was another piece of that pie, which actually is why I wound up spending a lot of time 
working in pretzel stores in the evenings and weekends to learn. <laughs> to learn. Yeah, yeah. So I see that same thing. Um, you know, we talk to you know, in our role, we talk to a lot of people that um, they're going to buy software, and they know generally what they're supposed to be doing and what the software is supposed to do, or what their own business processes are, but. Once they get into the details, then things start to get a little bit lost, and that's maybe where some mistakes are made. Is they really can't define or, or I always get asked, you know, what's the biggest mistake people make? And you just kind of outlined it. Um, what what causes ERP processes or programs uh, implementations to fail? And and I've got one answer, and it's it's an inability to define the real requirements. Absolutely, and it's because you don't the details. know to the details. Um, and it's because you don't know what they are. And so there's a lot of people that get into it and they, at a high level, they're a CFO, they're a con uh, controllers better because they're, they're in the details. They may have been a CFO that have been at one company for a year or two and don't really know all the details. And that's where I see more struggles and kind of throws up a red flag for me. And, you know, listening to you talk just kind of affirms that, that you know, when you don't understand the details, that things seem like they're, they're good but that's on the surface. That's right. <laughs> you, you've got to dig into the detail. The details is what makes every business work. And if you can't manage the details, if you don't get the right reports out, yeah. if you don't get the right systems in, yeah. it, it's going to come apart. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So as you look back, you're, well, we'll say your age. It's I know right. it. You just had a birthday. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you're 69. Okay. Uh, 68. 68. Oh, they just turned 69. No, okay. 68, 68. Last week. Yeah. Okay, um, so 68, as you look back on your career, all the way back to a nine-year-old <laughs> selling turtles for turtle races in Grinnell, Oklahoma, what are, what are kind of some of the big themes, if you're going to say, look back at kind of the arc of your career to go from, from selling turtles to starting businesses, being on boards um, of several businesses and ministries, um, what are kind of some themes that got you from, from that nine-year-old boy to where you're at? I, I love that question because I look back and I, the people that I admire the most are the people that overcame their situations. And I remember my cousin, Bill Snyder, was in a race, a foot race. And I remember he was coming around the last lap and he was falling behind and he actually stumbled. And he got back up and kept persevering. And when he came across the finish line, he was not first. He, I don't even think he was, I don't know where he was. I don't remember where he was, but the crowd was cheering. And it's because he got back up mm -hmm. and he put everything he had into it and he finished the race. And I think that's the key. You know, you don't have to be the smartest guy. You don't have to be the sharpest rock in the pile, but you've got to have tenacity. You've got to be willing to forgive and forget and remember <laughs> and go forward. But you just can't let things get you down, or otherwise you'll uh, you'll lose. You got to get back up. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, that's a, so. So what did you do? You just told me a story. This is how <laughs> this is how Gary does everything. Describe uh, thing. He tells stories, which is great because we all connect with uh, the story, right? So, yeah. well, Gary, I appreciate your time. This has been great. I think I've learned a lot, and and I hope that that the people that are watching get a chance to kind of learn from other people, other leaders, to see what makes them great and how they get from being a nine-year-old selling terrapins <laughs> to uh, assisting a board of directors. So guys, thank you. Enjoyed visiting today. Thanks. It was fun. Appreciate it. <laughs>